welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Hey, welcome adventurous to episode number 97 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. This is Captain's King Scott Walton. <laughs> this is Teacher Ryan. Scott, why are you a captain now? What is this all about? This will come up in my level up here a little bit later on, but uh, I helped my cousin at a Comic-Con this weekend, and the booth across from us had a Captain America shield. Well, oh. you know it had to happen. So, of course, now I, I figured out, I asked on the internet, is it King Captain Scott or is it Captain King Scott? And it is the position, then the title, then the name. So I'm Captain King Scott. I'll stick with just Patrick. For this week. <laughs> so who knows what next week will be. Now you have a shield and a crown. That I do. I almost had a hammer too. Ryan, it's nice to have you joining us today for episode 97. We're actually going to be reviewing a game that you taught me back in April. That's the Guild of Merchant Explorers. But Adventures, we got a massive episode, bunch of banter, a few recent plays. Adventures on the Horizon is Conquest Princess. We're going to update the top 100, the review, the look back. And then, guys, we're going to talk about what we're all jazzed up for at Origins. I'm getting, we're recording, what, two weeks before Leo? Yeah, Scott, you're going in like two weeks, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm leaving on – I'll be there Tuesday, actually, of that week. Well, looking forward to it. And in the back half of the episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about what we're looking forward to at Origins, all the shenanigans that are going to go down. First order of business. Scott, last episode, we were talking about what's a good legacy game that we can get the king to play for his first oh, double. We had some fantastic suggestions. One of my favorite one was, oh, it's got to be Clank Legacy, but then he won't want to play anymore. My man Josh <laughs> was like, dude, isn't it obvious? King's Dilemma. And I was like, well, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. But we have an announcement. Ticket to Ride Legacy is scheduled for November. I don't know if this is looking to come to crowdfunding or retail or what, but I'm looking over this BGG description in Ticket to Ride Legacy Legends of the West. Players embark on 12 journeys across North America as 19th century pioneers. The campaign begins on the East Coast, players working their way to the West from one adventure to the next meeting challenges along the way. As in Ticket to Ride, completing your tickets will remain your primary goal, but you're going to need to develop other skills if you hope to overcome the unexpected events uh, and your resourceful rivals. Game after game, route after route, you will continuously fill your vault with earnings. As the story progresses, you'll open frontier boxes that will unlock new rules, new content, and more surprises. Guys, I'm jonesing for this, but King, you are on BG, well, you're on BGA probably every day. And I feel like every other day I click up there and I see which one of my friends are on and it says King Scott currently playing Ticket to Ride. I think that might be the way to go with this. That could be. I know whenever I'm playing Ticket to Ride, you say that I play it all the time. I mean, it is a good game. It's not like one of my ones that I go to all the time. The only reason I'm playing it all the time is I'm playing BGA Arena, and it's the only game that I'm 100% confident of the rules of. So I'm just trying to get up there and get my ranking as high as possible, which is not working out well right now, I must say. <laughs> uh, but no, it's it's a fun game and everything. I think this would be great. I really look forward to this here. Um, I, I mean, if we don't play this, 
My brother-in-law loves Ticket to Ride, so this is something that I might try and do just to get him into playing some games again. I'm really interested in this as well. Like just looking at the pictures for it, uh, you could see that it's like puzzle pieces that you put together. So that's probably how they extend it or how mm-hmm. they make it like a legacy kind of format. Uh, who knows? Uh, there could be like different puzzle pieces depending on what you do. Uh, I, I have no idea what this is about and how they're going to be doing the crowdfunding, if any. But I am a pretty good fan of Ticket to Ride, especially since I've played it with my wife a couple times. And, mm-hmm. she, you know, she's not really huge into board games, but she really enjoys Ticket to Ride. So I could see getting this for her and us playing it through. All I know is there better be a box with a golden spike in it to put right in the middle of the country. That better be in there. <laughs> Guys, we got an old one coming back. And, and Scott, you know, we have the PGX Expo coming up. I Actually, later today, I have to submit the idea for our panel. And I'm thinking we do mm-hmm. something about old school games like board games from your childhood. Okay, so the Pittsburgh Retro Ooh. Gaming Convention, as we've mentioned on the show before, it's founded on video games and specifically Retro video games. So there's a lot of people selling like Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Genesis, that sort of thing. They got pinball machines set up, arcades set up. It's mm, it's oh just yeah. a blast. So they're expanding their tabletop content. And we're a part of that, right? We we get to do a panel. Yeah, we are. That's kind of an uncharted water because most of the crowd is going to be video gamers. So, yes, there's board gamers there now because it's getting closer and closer to a half and half kind of convention. But we got to find a way to appeal to old school video gamers. And I thought, you know what? Old games that have been remade or brought back, something like Return to Dark Tower which is especially great because it incorporates some technology. You know, it, right. it sort of crosses over to video game. That got me to looking up. I see uh, crossbows and catapults. You remember that one? Oh, man. I dreamed of having that one. But being an only child, it's kind of uneventful whenever you shoot everything. And then it's like, <laughs> well, I got to get up and go over the other side and get everything. But yeah, oh, my God. I mean, I think that the Retro Gaming Expo really hits at our ages the most there of people that love that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those people didn't have video. They were in the before times whenever there weren't video games. So they had these games that were a lot of fun. Crossbows and Catapults, Return to Dark Tower. Uh, Oh, my gosh. We need to talk to Restoration Games and just get their whole catalog to take with us. So what else you got going on, Scott? Well, I've been looking over different things we've been and doing here and going through the little game room, getting things sorted out. And then I came across miniatures. And I know the last time we talked, you were talking about getting into Battletech. And I think, Ryan, you were talking about it as well, too. Was, was that Josh? Josh? Well, <laughs> oh, Josh. Yeah, it was, it- it was definitely Josh. Uh, I'm just the one that ever since you talked about Battletech for the first time, I've been sending you pictures of every Battletech thing I've I been know. finding. <laughs> but no, I, I think we need to have what we, a level up painting contest here. Okay. So okay. what we need to do is we need to pick a mech and something that's very simple. I mean, I've got uh, a metric ton of them around here laying around the house, but going from a metric ton. <laughs> Go with me. I'm building up the flavor here, Ryan. Come on, man. I think we ought to go from the starter set. And I chose last night, I looked at the two mechs that were in this basic starter set. The cheapest okay. box set you can get. So there's the Griffin and there's the Wolverine. Wolverine, it's just overplayed. So I chose, let's do the Griffin. So I think that each one of us needs to paint up a Griffin. Uh, Ryan, if you do not have one, if you want to jump in with us, I know I have some extra Griffins around here. I could gladly give it to you at Origins there. 
And then mm-hmm. we paint them up and put them out for the listeners to vote who did the best job. I like the sound of that. I'll warn you, though, I feel like I'm getting better because. Oh, really? I, yeah, yeah. I've got about a dozen of the Kingdom Death Monster pieces assembled and now oh, painted. Yes. The, yeah. the line with the jam, right? Yeah, the line with the jelly. It's not jam, it's blood. <laughs> it looks like blood. <laughs> no, it's it's uh, it's coming along really well. Some of these monsters, like they're so intricate and the characters are so intricate and I'm painting them and I feel like I'm getting better. You know, I'm getting used to thinning mm-hmm. out the paint. But you gave me that that X factor. You said, oh, you're going to want to get some null oil, right? Oh, so yeah. I went to the shop. They were out of null oil. Go figure. So I was at Michael's and I found it was like, a, what do they call it? Like shading gray. Or okay. shadow gray. And you know, like you pick up a thing of paint and you give it a shake and it's like, you can't hear anything. But that one, I picked it up and it sounded like water sloshing around. I was like, I think oh, this yeah. is going to work. So it's basically twice as much non-oil for half the cost because it's oh, not nice. it's not like Games Workshop. So that is the X Factor, man. It What do they call it? Liquid talent. I go from, uh, okay, this looks <laughs> mediocre to, wow, look what I've created. <laughs> There's <laughs> but nothing I'm excited that's for, more fulfilling than whenever you're painting a miniature and you mm-hmm. get one of those washers and you put it on there and it seeps into all the cracks and oh, all of a sudden yeah. it's like, boof. Oh, my oh. God. I've done a work of art. this late. And you want to show it to everyone that's around you. And I know I show it to my wife and I'm like, look what I did. That's nice. There's a lot of people that have done that for like other games too, like Lost Ruins of Arnak, the little tablets. Like I've seen people just do that to the tablets and they just make them so, so much better looking. It's kind of crazy how how good it looks after just a simple wet wash. Mm -hmm. It is satisfying. I was in the before times once again with that. Whenever you used to do (laughs) dipping, it was like a lacquer that you use for wood. You would take the whole Mm -hmm. miniature, dip it down, upside down in there. And then your your uh, figure was protected, and then you do a couple highlights here and there, and boom, done. So yeah, I, I'm doing a lot of before times things here today. You know what? I'm finding it unbelievably satisfying. It's relaxing, and there, there's a part of me that's like, you know what? I don't even know if I'm ever gonna like fully play this game, but I've already got like 30 hours of enjoyment out of just sitting, painting, dipping them in that. Uh, well, not you know, brushing on the oil and whatnot. It's a uh, it's a new leaf in the hobby for me. And so far I'm enjoying it. Isn't it? Yeah. Ad, it is such a, a, a comforting feeling to do that. You know, and I'm going to uh, believe it or not. Uh, I was planning on starting that too. So um, there's a game that I wanted to play a full campaign again for, uh, and that's a uh, descent journeys in the dark second edition. Mm. Uh, so for that to do, that is quite a bit of painting and it's already, it's also painting over um, and already like red kind mm-hmm. of coloration as well so it's probably going to be a little bit difficult but like you're going to hear some noise on the camera but like i literally have it right here um i actually <laughs> have a complete full second set of miniatures from descent second edition Ooh. that i got specifically to paint the miniatures for because i've already gotten the heroes painted by somebody that was a commission but now i just want to do i want to see if i can do the monsters myself so um i'm going to start the whole painting idea as well but you know this is coming from someone whose best art piece is drawing and not painting. Like when I paint, <laughs> I still paint like houses, like, you know, two-year-old kids do. They just make a, a rectangle and a triangle. And that, that's my <laughs> that's painting. That's the way that you make a house. You want in on this Battletech painting? You want to paint a griffin? Let's do it. Let's paint Maybe. it at Origins. In fact, that whole miniatures painting section at Origins. You know I Will's going to get in griffin. on it. 
Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, let's bring one for Josh. I have one because I got that starter box. Let's bring one mm-hmm. for Will. Uh, Andrew's not going to be able to make it, but uh, what, what do we need? Five Griffins. We'll paint them all up. We'll get a picture then and there, and we'll put up like hashtag origins, vote for, you know, who did the best Griffin. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. We're, we're throwing down there at origins. Okay. Uh, may- okay. Maybe. Maybe if time permits. You know, we don't want... I. I'm not exactly looking to go to Origins and spend money for a ticket to sit and paint for an hour. You know, that might be some people's thing. I can do that at home, but maybe we'll do it after Origins and uh, we'll make it like, okay, we we all bring them to Gen Con or figure it out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's going to be stuff going on in the background here. I know it. Gloomhaven has a second edition announced, which I think is is insane. I mean, that that game's, I don't know where I'm going with this. (laughs) They, They have a second edition coming out. And that's the news. Good yeah, night, well, everybody. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I feel like if you're interested in Gloomhaven 2nd Edition, you probably already have the 1st Edition. And even if you're like, oh, more content, more content, you just go for Frosthaven. And they have the RPG coming out. So I don't know where yeah. they're going with uh, Gloomhaven 2nd. Well, maybe they were just like, you know what? It's six years ago. We have some things that we wanted to clean up, update. I think there's some balancing that they, that they did with a card or two in there, but... Uh, I'd be hard pressed to buy a new copy of Gloomhaven if I already had one. Yeah, I agree yeah, with you there. Yeah, I, I I agree as well. I don't have a copy of Gloomhaven, but I don't know. Maybe I'll look at uh, the first edition sitting on a shelf somewhere and pick up relatively cheap and do it that way. So it's a way who knows to do what it. I'll do. Yeah. Have you done Jaws of the Lion? Yeah, well, we made it halfway, two-thirds of the way through that, I think. I want to guess about two-thirds before it tapered off. Yep, yep. Too busy with other things. Fair enough. Chicks, man. Well, Adventures, you've already heard it in this podcast as well. Uh, Patrick mentioned it earlier, but you've heard us say BGA many, many times. But in case you have no idea what that is, it stands for Board Game Arena. Uh, That's a platform where you can play a metric ton of games on your computer or in your app. Uh, At last count, by the way, I checked. Uh, Metric. Very nice. You you threw that in there. Very nice. uh, I checked, and they have about 650 different games to choose from in last count. And this is not including betas or alphas yet. Board Game Arena has been around since about 2010 after it was co-founded by two people. It's Emmanuel Cullen and Greg Isabelli. Uh, they're two web designers who got together and said, hey, we love board games. Let's make this. So they did. And then about a year ago, BGA was bought by Asmodee, another giant in the board gaming business. And they've been running things for the most part of it with the founders still in there doing their thing. Uh, however, three months ago, Emmanuel left the company. That's one of the co-founders. And now, as of this past week or so, the other co-founder, Greg, is stepping down. So that is the two co-founders of BGA are going to wallow in their cash. But for the most part, I just have to say, you know, I want to thank these guys, basically, and they ought to be proud of what they did. I can't think of anybody in this board game business that hasn't used BGA or mentioned it. And in fact, I know I've bought many of the games on my shelf because they're on BGA and I got to play them and find out that I like them. And there's some I managed to avoid, but I'm, <laughs> I'm still, it's still great because I, I, I still get a chance to try them to find out if I like them. But either right. way, uh, this is just me expressing my thanks to them for everything that they did in this board game community. Yeah, they were definitely groundbreakers. I know listeners know my love of Tabletop Simulator, but uh, (laughs) this is such a great thing. I mean, Tabletop Simulator, great thing there to get games out there, get them learned, stuff like that. That's perfect. This one here, if you want to take your time and learn how to play it, 
it will show like blink like you can make this move you can make this move no you can't do that that's bad smack on the hand it's such a great tool to learn new games and move mm-hmm. forward so i mean they were really you know case okay, sorry to the pun but ahead of the game whenever it comes to making something like this for people to learn games play games with anybody around the world it's it was truly truly a great invention there all right guys we got to get on with this episode we got a lot to talk about and i want to kick it off with recent plays who wants the floor Oh, well, Ryan, why don't why don't you take the floor? Give it to sure. the guest. So, guys, I have been really excited to try out this game for a few years. Uh, ever since I saw it play at a convention years ago, it was a bright, colorful game and it had seemingly interesting card play. In fact, a friend of mine got a copy of it at that convention and we were meant to play it, but it just never happened. Flash forward to about a month ago, I've been playing the heck out of this game on BGA and just love it. I'll be getting a copy of it at Origins, and this game is called Hadara. I really want to play this on PGA with you guys sometime. All uh, right, hold on, I- hold on, hold on, hold on. But I need a sound effect, so every time somebody says BGA in this episode, <laughs> we need to all be like, ah! Okay, go ahead, Ryan. I don't think I have it said anymore in here, thank goodness. But anyways, <laughs> uh, I think I mentioned that I wanted to play with you, but I do believe you're going to love it. Heck, that might even be the game I choose to play with you guys at Origins, I think. So let's just add it to that pile of 30-ish games we're already going to do, (laughs) right? (laughs) Anyway, uh, so this game is just about tableau building, basically, but it's set in three rounds, or they're called epochs in this game. And each epoch has two phases in it, so you'll have six phases in the entire game. So picture this. There's five stacks of different colored cards and like a circular pattern on the board. And these cards are just going to help you advance on your tracks on your personal player board. In the first phase of any epoch, all players do things simultaneously, so it it runs pretty quickly. They're going to draw two cards from one of the stacks, depending on where their emblem is next to on the circular board. And out of these two cards, you're going to pick one to discard, and the other one you're going to choose. You're going to choose to either like pay its cost and put it in your tableau, or you're going to sell it for money, and that just goes away from the game. Whenever everyone's done with that, you go clockwise around the board, and you do it again for the next stack of cards. Keep on repeating this process until you've done one of those things with all five of the stacks. That's that's the simple part of it. In fact, this whole entire game is simple. But after that's all done, there's a check to see if you've advanced on your tracks far enough to get bonuses based on how far you've gone, usually in the form of tokens that bump your tracks even further or some things that give you victory points at the end of the game. Now, in the second phase of the Epoch, you're going to do this again. However, instead of drawing cards from stacks, You're going to go in player order, and you're going to pick the top card of the discard piles. You know, those cards that everyone discarded? Mm -hmm. You're going to choose again. You're either going to buy it, or you're going to toss it for money. And at the end of that phase, after collecting all those bonuses I talked about earlier, you'll also need to make sure that you have enough bumps on your green agriculture track to make sure you can pay for the cards. So you need to have at least more bumps on the green track than you have cards in your tableau, or you're going to lose them. Either way, there's just so many choices here that you can make. Uh, this pulls at my heartstrings when I play it. I, I'm loving every single card. There's so many different cards to choose from. Uh, it's a very, very easy, quick, thinky tableau building track builder with just choices everywhere. You guys know that my favorite game is Rococo, which is a lot mm-hmm. of choice making in that game as well. This one hit a lot of that for me as well. But that's Hadara, and I, I, I can't wait to play it with you guys. Now, you say it's a simple, simple game. How long does it take to play? And like, what age group do you think? Obviously, this is targeting gamers, but like, can I get a 10-year-old to play? You could. Yeah. No, no. Literally, the cards are literally just go up these tracks. 
don't let the simplicity fool you. That doesn't make it a bad, boring game. There's a lot of decision making in there. There's also purple cards. Uh, they're technology cards that give you like ongoing bonuses or benefits as well. Like every single time you play a red card, you get an additional bump on the red track or you can place one of your tokens on this card and whichever one you want. And you go up on that track specifically a number of spaces. So the purple cards are probably the only difficult, but not really difficult part of the game. Mm -hmm. uh, everything else is just tableau building. <laughs> just from the aesthetic of it, this grabs my attention immediately. It looks like the kind of game that hits the sweet spot of what I want to play. I mean, I glance at it quickly, but looking at it now, yeah, oh, no question, right? I will be with you playing this game, absolutely. It just looks like a lot of fun, and there's just something about it. Like, the aesthetics of it really grab my attention immediately. It's very colorful, that's for sure. Ryan, what's the theme here? Looks like a Civ builder or like a Civ management game? Um, theme? Question mark? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> In, in essence, yes, you're, you're building a cultured civilization for the most part. Yeah. So like the tracks, uh, sorry, the different colors are representative of different things. So red is military, blue is culture, green is agriculture, yellow is income, banking, something along those lines, mm -hmm. economy, I think it is. The purple tracks are the, sorry, the purple cars are technology. There's no track okay. for purple because it's just technology. They just give you ongoing benefits, but yeah, that uh, makes but sense. Yeah, that that's what it is. And you're building this up through different ages or epochs, as, as it said. Well, teach me how to play on BGA. You know what? Tonight, uh, my wife's, my wife took a job working in Pittsburgh. She's so working for the uh, the Arts Festival. So I don't think Ooh. she's going to be home till late, late, late. Oh, wait, it's Tuesday. Is this your D&D &D night or was that last night? No, that's Fridays. Oh, sweet. And last night was your board game night with your, yes, with your right. game. Okay, so that's right. maybe, maybe tonight we'll uh, learn how to do some Hadara. Okay, sounds good. King, you remember we talked about Factory 42? Yeah, you you seem to really like that one. Heck yeah, I did. And we even got a level up promo card in their Kickstarter last year. <laughs> I, I remember uh, a bit of level up for the show getting that promo from Dragon Dawn. And you know they did Grey Eminence. And Michelle as well. Uh, we've done a bit for them, actually. Well, now they're going to do a bit for our listeners. Did you manage to get another promo code? Oh, you bet, King. 10% off this one is using promo code LEVELUP on their website. Now, this is for anything on their site. Mm-hmm. White Hat, Grey Eminence, Factory 42, Beyond the Rift, everything. Even the giant Dungeon Crawler Perdition's Mouth Abyssal Rift. Everything is 10% off with promo code L-E-V-E-L-U-P. So, if I'm seeking a new adventure, where does I journey to use this mythical promo code spell? Two easy ways to do it. You can click on the logo for Dragon Dawn on our homepage at levelupgamepodcast.com or get on over to ddpgames.com and click shop. I, I Easily, I gotta tell you, one of my favorite things we're able to do with this show is find some ways to help adventurers save some money and score some loot. So get on with it, adventures. DDPGames.com. Click shop. Promo code L-E-V-E-L-U-P. Level up. All right, King. What you got? A game that is designed by Bryce Brown and also was uh, had a design, a designer added in Credit. there, helping with some things. Our very own Josh. Ooh, explore hey. Josh. 
And that game is Guns or Treasure. This is a delightful little card game that's very, very simple to play. You can teach this game five minutes tops. The whole Mm -hmm. game takes maybe 15 minutes to play. So what you're going to do is you draw six cards. Each player draws six cards. You can play up to six people or add in another uh, set of cards here and play up to 10 people. So whenever you're doing this, you have cards in front of you that have the back of a boat. That's what's going to show for all your opponents to see. So you see on the back of their cards, there's a back of a boat. On the other side of the card, there is the front of the boat and either a cannon, treasure, or a bomb. Mm -hmm. So each person's turn, you will play a card in front of you. Do you want to start a new ship? Well, lay down the card in front of you with the front of a ship. Now then people can see, oh, there's a gun on there or there's treasure on there. You don't want to put the bomb out. You don't want to draw them in too quickly. So you lay that down. You go along. Everyone plays a card. You play another card. Whenever you do that, you could start another ship or you can flip the card over. Hide what's in there. Is it another gun? Could they be putting treasure on the gunboat? Or is there the elusive bomb that they're putting on there? You keep on doing this till you play three cards. Once that's done, you discard that, draw six cards. You do this again with three cards. You play it all out. Once you get 12 cards played in front of you, you take the number of boats you have. You take a look. You can have anywhere from one really big boat to maybe four smaller boats if you want to. The person that has the most guns showing up total will go first. So what will happen then is that person will then challenge somebody to a fight. So I could say, you know what, Patrick? I'm going to take this ship here, and I'm going to fight your ship. Bring it. Okay. (laughs) So right away, I know I have however many guns on front of there. Uh, I don't remember exactly how many it has, because it'll have a number next to it showing how many guns there are. We flip over our cards. We take a look and see what's in there. We add up the total number of guns. If I have more guns than you, I just beat you. If you have more guns than me, you beat me. Whoever wins will take any treasure that's on that boat. All right? You with me so far? So far, so good. Okay. Or, if I wanted to, I could be sneaky and put one gun on front of there and put a load of treasure on there and say, all right, my turn. I'm just going to run away. And I'm just Mm going to take that treasure with me. And that's it. Or. Once again, I said the elusive bomb. If you attack somebody and there's a bomb on their ship, both of you lose. All the treasure sinks to the bottom of the sea. No one gets anything. This was a delightful game. Lots of laughing. We had a couple people watching us play the game with four players. They were just interested. Like, what is this? What is this? I'm like, well, jump in on the second game. They jumped in together as a team. They had a blast playing it. They were just laughing and hooting, hollering having a grand old time playing this game. It takes 15 minutes to play. There is an expansion with it that adds pirates and monkeys in there. I haven't played that yet as far as having like the special abilities that they have. Plus, you can also do it a little bit tougher and add captains to this. It gives each mm-hmm. one of you a special power. And I love this. This is just absolutely glorious. Whenever you have the little card to give out to each player that gives you what you can do each turn, The bottom of each one of them has 
well, however you want to look at it, either a really grand or really horrible pirate dad joke. Oh, I like that. Why not throw it in there? You know, this is a nice little game. It, it's simple. It's not trying to be like your your flagship game for the evening. It kind of reminded me of like in Princess Bride when he's like, you know, I know that you know that I know, mm-hmm. right? So there's like the, if I put one gun at the front of the ship and I've got like six cards laying down, well, that looks like a ton. I mean, that's clearly there's going to be some gold in there, some treasure. Oh, so yeah. I'm basically goading you into, hey, go for this. There might not be. Or maybe I know that you know that I wouldn't be so dumb to put a whole bunch of treasure there. So I fill it with treasure knowing that you won't go for it. It's mm-hmm. a little bit of that. And, you know, for the time frame that the game takes, I thought they did a good job with it. <laughs> well, so what you're saying is there's a lot of Sicilian ships. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this one sounds like one of those games that like just hearing how you describe it. It sounds like one of those games where there's going to be a lot of, oh, or yeah, moments in it. It, it, it sounds like it's quite enjoyable. <laughs> Especially when well, that bomb shows up. Yeah. Whenever you say that, that leads us to our Tom segment of this show. So Tom was playing with us. Oh, so no. I decided to play <laughs> against him. So I'm like, Tom, I'm going to attack your ship. I attacked his ship. Boom. It was a bomb. Oh. All right. It went around a couple more times. Someone else decided, I'm going to attack Tom. Bomb. Boom, it was another bomb. All right, well, the bombs are all gone now, so I'm going to attack Tom on his final boat. Boom, there's a bomb. He had three bombs. And they're pretty rare in that deck. There are four bombs in the whole game. Yes, but his name rhymed with them, so of course he gets them all. Shut up, Ryan. I'm (laughs) still complaining about it, okay? Can't say bomb on a plane. I, I will say, though, uh, I, I think it's great because if you think about what you just said, if you use the expansion or the, the mini thing that they have where you can add captains, would that make you a captain, Captain King, Scott? Oh, for God's yes. sake. Yes, it would. Guys, we're <laughs> limited on time. <laughs> okay. Guns or Treasure, check it out. Very small box. It can fit in your bag. You can take it anywhere. Really highly recommend this game as like a nice end of the night kind of thing there or you're having drinks at the bar or something like that. Great little game to try out. Guns or treasure. All right. Well, bring it to Origins, and uh, that'll be game number 32 no, no, on our stack. No, no, It would be brung. All right, guys. I'm going to talk about one from Z-Man Games, designed by Johannes Krenner and Marcus Slawicek. Slawicek? Slo- Not going to work here anymore. Guys, this is 2022 Spiel nominee called Challengers. From Ooh. BGG Challengers, exclamation point, is an interactive deck management game for one to eight players that plays in about 45 minutes, independent of your player count. With the tournament gameplay style, you meet another opponent every round. Guys, before we get into the actual gameplay here, one thing that stands out as unique is that the entire play of the game is sort of played out like a round-robin tournament where you're going to be paired up with an opponent each round for like a capture-the-flag style match, winning a trophy for winning the round, and at the end of seven rounds, most points is the winner. So literally eight people can play this game together, taking a few moments building up their deck then trying to figure out who they're paired against. Well, not trying to figure out. You just see who you're paired against, sit across from them and carry out your match. Match takes like four minutes and then it's on to the next round. You play for seven rounds. So the game plays in two phases. First, we've got the deck construction phase and then the match phase. Deck construction. This is simple. Each player begins the game with the same small deck of cards and there are 
three different decks that you're going to be adding to yours from an A deck, a B deck, and a C deck. In the early rounds, this means adding like two cards from deck A, or perhaps uh, round two or three, it's uh, you get two cards from deck A, or only one card from deck B, your choice. And as you can imagine, the cards get more powerful as you progress from deck A to deck C. Then you have the option to remove any number of cards from your deck, which later on in the game, you're obviously going to want to because some of those starter cards are weaker and weaker. Boom, deck ready, you're off to battle. So find your pairing, as in who uh, who has the same card symbol on their matchup. Like, okay, so this is actually easier than I can make it sound. Beginning of the game, everybody gets pairing cards, which basically say what matchup they're going to be playing at, like the leaf playmat, the mushroom playmat, Literally just list these for seven rounds. Easy. Speaking of easy, the match portion sort of plays itself. Uh, This game's described as an auto battler because it's kind of automatically done. You're flipping the cards, but you have no agency here. The first player flips up a card and they capture the flag, this little token in the middle. Then the other player flips cards from the top of their deck until they reveal an equal or greater amount of power. And when they do, they take the flag and the opponent's card or cards, if they have several, all go onto the bench, which is simply five spaces along the side of the field. Now your opponent's going to do the same thing back and then you until either someone's deck is going to run out or someone's bench. All five slots on their bench are going to be full, at which point that player is going to lose the match. Winner gets the trophy token and it's on to the next deck building phase. So before I get into some thoughts, Ryan, we uh, we did a quick first impression play this morning. What do you think? First well, uh, impression, actually, off the cuff. Sure. No problem. Uh, well, my first impression would then be from PAX, actually, because oh, that's when I geez. played it first. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so we had a uh, we had a five player match at PAX. Um, mm-hmm. So the fifth player, there, there's there was always a player who did not actually like battle against anybody. So they like sat out. Sure. But, um yeah, at PAX, uh, we played it with five people. There was a lot of seat shuffling, so we moved. <laughs> we realized that, and so we like sat at the end of a table so that we could do a lot of like seat movements and stuff. But I, I thought it was quite unique. I mean, uh, the only other auto deck building battler thing that I can think of that I've played is Wonderland's War for the most part. Uh, but in that one, you have a little bit more agency. And Challengers, like you, once you have your deck, it, you shuffle it up, put it down, and start fighting each other. This was quite a, a nice game. It was not challenging even though it's called challengers um (laughs) (laughs) and the good thing that i I don't think you mentioned is the fact that um there are i think about like eight to ten different kinds of factions of cards Uh, in each in each game you're playing i think with only like four of them if i'm not mistaken but there's like eight to start with so like this game is definitely expandable they can come out with more factions for this game that do kind of unique things uh a la games like unfair or funfair if you've ever played those there's like unique kind of decks for them i do like how you can interchange them i do like how they like work with each other when you do defeat an opponent even if you had to spend three cards to defeat them, only the last card that you played is the card that your opponent has to go against. And so like right, right. that makes the that makes the flow of the game go quite quicker. So like you don't have to worry about defeating a three with a four and then you have to defeat that four with a six, or and if you defeat that six with an eight. Nah, it's just whatever the last card that was played would be the one that you're fighting against. There's a lot of unique ways that it gains power. There's a lot of unique ways that you can defeat an opponent immediately or alter your bench so that you have more mm-hmm. room. Because if you run out of room on your bench, you can't play anymore, even if you have cards left. So I do like how they thought of quite a few things. 
And I will say that I love the box cover too. (laughs) The box cover has like a lot of representation of like different unique decks on there. Like there's a dinosaur going after it. And there's also a duck going after the flag. They're all pointing to the flag in the middle. I I, I do like that as well. Uh, But yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely has a playful art style going on What with the, the different factions. Like, you can have a knight, you can have skeletons, and yet one of the big cards that I, I saw this morning in our playthrough was uh, a seven. It was a teddy bear. Like, why not? How? Why is the teddy bear beating a knight? Don't know. It happens. There's all kinds of different things that are going to come up. So it's it's got a playful atmosphere about the game. You know, it's not a super serious game. I don't know yet if this is amazing or boring. So I bought it. I was joking. I called SCG, our, our local hobby so- shop. I knew that they had a copy. And when we left PAX, a bunch of people were like, oh, yeah, Pat, you, you, I think you're going to like this one. That one's really good. So I called SCG and I was like, hey, you guys still have that copy of Challengers there? He's like, yeah. You want me to set it aside for you? And I was like, eh, don't set it aside. I probably won't be there for like a week, but I just wanted to see if it was still there. And if it's still there when I get there, I'll get it. But that might be somebody's like, I can't wait to get this. I just want it because I wanted to figure out what the heck's going on with it. So a week later, there it was. So I have challengers, nice components, nice artwork. I don't know if I love it yet. It's this game is either amazing or boring, and I have I have no idea. No, it's I, best not, with more players for sure. No, I have not played this, and I'm listening to you guys here. It sounds like a real crazy amalgam of a magic draft mixed with a little bit of Pokemon and a smidge of Smash Up just for fun. Yes, that's excellent. Yeah, that's a I, great I way like to put it. it. And yeah. throw in throw in the old school card game War. There's a little oh, hint okay. of War. It, I mean, it is that simple. I like how quickly this game can play with even eight people and how interesting the deck building portion of the game is. You've got those different sets of cards like Ryan was talking about with different uh, abilities that synergize. Uh, a lot of cards have their own special abilities like plus one for all your stuff if this card is on your bench or plus one for every trophy that your opponent has earned so far. There's incentive to get multiples of the same card so that you don't fill up your bench too quickly. And what I mean by that is there's bench slots. If you have duplicates, they go on top of each other Mm, rather than filling up another bench slot. So that's something to think about. The timing of when to remove the cards from your deck is pretty important because you don't want to run out of cards in your deck mid-match, but you also don't want to have a bunch of garbage that's going to fill up your bench later on in those later rounds. All very interesting, and I like that. On the other hand, (laughs) the actual match portion is pretty much flip cards, watch and see what happens. There's basically nothing that you can do to influence the match at all. Plus, since, well, I shouldn't go that far. Some of the cards will say like, pick, you know, look through your deck and pick a card and put it on top. So I, I, I retract that statement. There are some simple things that you can do to influence the match, but for the most part, it's kind of just flip cards, flip cards, see who beats what. I'll give you a good example. One card that uh, would that you play, it's just a one power, so it's kind of a dud card, but it lets you get two cards out of your bench. Well, that's fantastic in the back half of the match, but it's basically useless as your first or second flip of the match. Where does it show up? How do you get to influence where it shows up? Well, you don't. If you sit down to play and it's your first flip, sorry, Charlie. Basically, I think I'm going to need to play this a little bit more. I'm really intrigued by it. I want to keep playing it. Am I going to be playing it next year, two years from now? We'll see. I'm just a little skeptical as the match phase is kind of like modified war, but it's fun. Well, one last question I got to ask is Mm -hmm. you said that it goes around, like you said, uh, Ryan, Someone, if you have an odd number of people, you have a buy. 
Now, once someone loses, are they out of the game then, or does everyone continue to play? No. So uh, as you're playing the game, uh, depending on the round that is in, you get a trophy. Uh, so the trophy are the victory points that you're trying to accrue for the end of the game. You're going through seven rounds. So in a two-player game, the first round it gets a trophy that is worth one victory point. In the second round, it's two victory points and so on and so forth. However, in a uh, larger player uh, count, the trophies actually have different numbers on them. So like there could be a random match that gives you two victory points and there could be a random match that gives you like four. I don't really care for that because then it's all a matter of luck on how you, you know, get these trophies. You could be in every right. match that gives you like more victory points than somebody else who's playing. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that if, if I had to, if we had to do an eight bit breakdown on the downsides, that would be one of them. But a good thing about it, though, is this does play up to eight players. And no matter the player count, the playtime is practically the same because everything, for the most part, is simultaneous. Yeah, it moves quick. Yes, it does. That sounds pretty cool. Pretty cool. I, I'll look. Hey, add another one to our list for Origins. <laughs> we don't. Well, the good thing is it's on BGA, so don't necessarily have to. Oh. <laughs> uh... Yeah. We haven't heard that music in a while. Some adventures on the horizon. The trumpeter learned a new song. (laughs) Guys, I want to talk about a game from Fight in the Box designed by Seppi Yoon called Conquest Princess Fashion is Power, which is live on Kickstarter right now. Yeah, let that soak in. Conquest Princess Fashion is Power. Uh, I can't describe this game. I'm going to describe it from the publisher's words. A galaxy in peril. The fashion tyrant, Mugaga, steps up her invasion. The Temporal Intergalactic Arm Response Agency, or Tiara, is our brave new hope. Warriors dressed for battle face off against the worst classic space problem. Invaders from space, giant mecha monsters, and the dreaded Mugaga herself. Prepare for battle. Fashion is power. Conquest Princess is a cooperative one-to-four player bag builder board game. A single bag of destiny determines your fate. Manipulate probability to complete your mission. And then it tells a little bit about the gameplay. Each player must complete their assigned mission before they run out of power or before the timeline resets. Ryan, we had a chance to play this one back at Gen Con, and this was it's been through some development since. I know I've seen a bunch of videos. They, they've really been doing well with the Kickstarter so far, but I thought we'd bring it up today. Sure. We did play it, and man, oh man, Seppi was so <laughs> so ha- hyped for us to just say fashion is power after every single single uh, thing that we did. You're like, um, and why is that? And in unison, <laughs> the whole table would be like, because fashion is. Well, you're supposed to do it in unison with me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't there. Okay. I didn't know. Well, we had the joy of uh, meeting with Seppi last year at Gen Con. And Scott, I know that you are a fan of Seppi uh, and his game mm-hmm. Mouse, Cheese, Cat, Cucumber, which yes. I think you're the one who taught me, in fact. Uh, in what I would imagine is his signature style, that being zany, we've got another wild theme. But where Mouse, Cheese, Cat, Cucumber was like a quick, small footprint game, Conquest Princess is a big old hobby board game. So Ryan and I sit down to play with Seppi and, and Will, and the game goes a little something like this. You've got scenarios to choose from for your four-player co-op game, and we're set up with the intro scenario, which finds players on a spaceship, which, as we mentioned, is called the Tiara, staving off invaders and the Mechapede. 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 Ooh, ooh, can I do that? Mechapede. (laughs) 
A turn is simply taking four actions, which typically includes moving and activating various spaces on the board, be it on the TR itself or one of the side mission. Uh, Ryan, I, d- I would describe them as kind of mini games, uh, not standalone games or anything like that. They're they're missions that are part of the scenario. Uh, in the case of the Mechapede, for example, oh, it plays oh, out oh, almost. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Go ahead. Mechapede. It plays out almost like a game of centipede where you're taking actions to shoot at this coiled body of a worm trying to hit vital spots and unlock dice. The invader board, on the other hand, plays out similar to like an old school game of space invaders to kind of give it a crude oversimplification. Now, it's been a good while, like I said, since we've played, and it seems like there has been a ton of development since. And, you know, I follow Seppi on Instagram, and he's got videos of, like, the pieces that we were playing with, which were, like, cardboard with stickers on them. Now he's got, like, the, what do you call that, translucent plastic and the acrylic Mm. pieces. So it has evolved a ton. Let's boil it down to some of the things that we like about this. For me, first off, this game was tough. I like something about legit difficult co-ops that get you to keep trying, right? You, you keep coming back. And, and man, when you get that win, that feels really good. And I think Conquest Princess has that factor. The designer, Seppi, he's an animated character that you can't help but like to be around. But a great person doesn't mean a great designer. No. Uh, to this point, though, the only other game of Seppi's that we have played is Mouse Cheese Cat Cucumber. It's a very good game. And Conquest, for me, that puts him at two and two and uh, two for two in my book. Finally, I like when a game gives you uh, ways to have a unique character with unique abilities, particularly in a co-op game. There's enough happening on the table here, and there's enough differentiating me from the other players that it's really hard for any one person to quarterback the game. Uh, And this means that players legit have to work together. They have to talk in generalities like, okay, guys, uh, can anyone find a way to hit the Mechapede this round? If so, I can go and rescue a pet. Yes, that happens. (laughs) So you find yourself working as a team without micromanaging anyone's decisions. And I think we're at a point either in the industry or at least in our collective gaming experience levels where in a co-op, that's a must. Difficult game that you can't quarterback from a good designer. I like this one. I, I, I hope to see this crush it on Kickstarter. I hope so too. It it was interesting to play all sorts of different kinds of retro games in a board game kind of format. Uh, but yeah, you're right. That's exactly what this is. It's just a bunch of mini games that I feel like get a lot of uh, attention from retro games. So, mm-hmm. um, and I really do hope that Seppi does well. He's so he's so vibrant in everything, and I, I just hope everything goes well for him. <laughs> I hope same yeah. at Origins. I've yet to play the game or really look into it, but I have seen tons, tons of ads and everything else for this game. So it's one that, if nothing else, I wanted to do good because Seppi has just been working overtime to get the news of this game out there for everyone. And I just think it's it, it looks phenomenal. It looks very uh, appealing, and I can't wait to give it a try. And what do we say? Fashion, Fashion is, is power. power. <laughs> Remember, I wasn't there. There's the song I'm used to. There he is. Guys, let's talk top 100 prime movers. Heat pedal to the metals up three spots to number 87. A falling star. The seventh continent is down two to number 89. And you Ooh. know what? I think its days might be numbered. Maybe. Debut in the top 100, Frost Haven is at number 94. It happened and it cracked. It's in there. Top 10 trends. We've got a change in the top 10. 
Star Wars Rebellion falls to number 10 for Dune Imperium, which moves up to number nine. How oh, about that? Yeah. These games are higher than they've ever been. Dune Imperium, as we said, at number nine. Pandemic Legacy Season Zero, number 50. Scott, I feel like we have mentioned Pandemic Legacy Season Zero like every other episode for the last two I years. And so. it just up one, up one. <laughs> Yep, yep. (laughs) Slow and steady wins the race. At this rate, yeah, at this rate, it's going to be number one in 2028. Cthulhu, Death May Die is at number 73. Heat, Pedal to the Metal at number 87. Frosthaven at number 94. Happy birthdays. We've got Grand Austria Hotel at four years and Clank, a deck building adventure at six years. Couple goodies there, Mike. Definitely. Happy haven't done birthday. Grand Austria for forever. I have it right here. I could bring it to Origins, you know. Stop <laughs> it. Stop it. Well, I tell you what, I've been really enjoying not having to do the walkthroughs lately. So, Ryan, you're the guest. Why don't you tell us all how to play the Guild of Merchant Explorers? Anything for you, Patrick. The Guild of Merchant Explorers is a 2022 release from AEG and was designed by Matthew Dunstan and Brett Gilbert, featuring the art of Geralt Landman. A game lasts roughly 45 minutes to an hour, and you can play the game with 2-4 players along with the solo mode option available. The goal of this game is to have the most money after 4 rounds of play and a final scoring. You will be gaining money in a round by establishing trade routes on your personal player map, by discovering treasures on the way, and by completing objectives. At the beginning of a game, you'll choose a map to use, and then you'll place that personal map board in front of you, along with a bunch of cubes representing explorers and some wooden village tokens. Each map board shows a bunch of lands on it separated by water, and each land has a bunch of regions on it, depicted by mountains, deserts, or forests. In between all the players will be the exploration board with explorer cards. Along the side of it will be some treasure cards, investigate cards, and a bunch of tokens, including all the money. So the first thing that you do at the beginning of every round, or era in this game, is you set up the exploration deck. The first era is going to have the five basic explore cards, which depict the regions and the formation rules, along with the card that has a Roman numeral 1 on it, which makes up your six-card deck. In future rounds, you'll take all of the cards that you just used from the previous round, and you'll add the next era card to it. So that should be seven cards for era 2, eight cards for era 3, and all nine cards for era 4. Once that deck has been shuffled, play begins by flipping over the top card. If the card depicts a region, you'll just be following the placement rules of that card and place out your explorer cubes. You must place these cubes so that they extend either from the capital, a village, or one of your already placed explorers from this turn. If the explorer card shows a Roman numeral, however, check to the side of your board to see if you already have a card for that era. If you already do have one, then just reactivate that card. However, if you do not, you're going to draw the top two cards of the Investigate deck, choose one, activate it, and then place it next to your board in that era. Players will keep doing this until all the cards have been used, and then they're going to clean up their boards by removing all Explorer cubes from it. And then they go to the next round. That is the basic flow of the game. However, the last thing I want to touch on is what happens when you go over certain spaces with your Explorers. If you cover up a number of coin symbols, take that many number of coins. If you cover up a ruins or a shipwreck icon, take the top card of the treasure deck and either keep it for endgame points or immediately use it for something depicted on it. If you place an explorer in such a way that it covers up the last kind of that region, then you're going to take one of your cubes or explorers and replace it with one of your wooden village tokens. 
If you cover up one of the towers that are on either corner of the board, you're going to replace that cube with a tower. And finally, if you place an explorer in such a way so that it connects two cities together, multiply the values of the cities together, take that number of coins, and then cover up one of those cities with a token. At the end of the game, count up how much money you've collected, along with any money that you would get from treasure cards when set collection, and whoever has the most gold or money wins the game. Let's see what the Level Up Board Game Podcast thought in our 8-bit breakdown of the Guild of Merchant Explorers. The Queen has sent out a call to the Guild of Merchant Explorers, asking brave adventurers to voyage to all corners of the Kingdom of Tigume. While the kingdom is flourishing, its maps have not been updated in some time, and its great cities have lost contact with one another. With your team of explorers, you will journey over rough seas, majestic mountains, vast deserts, and lush greenlands to establish trade routes between cities, visit far-seeing discovery towers, and discover new villages that have emerged. Thanks, Ryan, for the walkthrough of today's review game, Guild of Merchant Explorers. It's my pleasure, Patrick. Anything to make it so that you didn't have to do anything. <laughs> Less work. <laughs> hey, I gotta edit the whole damn show. I don't want to hear it. Adventures, <laughs> as you know, the 8-Bit Breakdown is our chance to look at eight different facets of this game, concluding with was it fun and who's it for? How about we go Ryan, Scott, me, and we'll start with bit number one, the art and components. Ryan. Beige. <laughs> <laughs> that's brown, your, that's your answer, beige and brown. So I'm not going to lie, the cover of this game is nothing to look at. It really isn't. I, I do like how they did the emblem. It makes it look like it says Merchants the Guild of Explorers <laughs> in how it's formatted. But <laughs> other than that, the cover doesn't make it seem like it's going to be a good game just because it's just beige. And inside, yeah. by the way, guess what? It's beige. There's beige, there's whites, there's there's some blacks. Um, even the tokens themselves are beige or white. Oh, wait, no, there's browns, there's tans. Oh, yeah. And there's like a cream <laughs> color a somewhere in there. in there as well. Yeah, oh, there's yeah. Still, oh, don't forget taupe. <laughs> Nobody can forget taupe. Taupe is the it's best. It's an eggshell. <laughs> but for the most part, the only colorful components in there are the player cubes. But as far as the components are concerned, that's all it really needs. Other than the color palette, which is not fantastic, but it has everything it needs. The the card quality is great. Uh, it has the cards that you need. It has little wooden uh, obelisks. Oh, they got the towns, the citadels. Yes. They have the little bit of wood components, which is great. Believe it or not, I think maybe in this case, the beige slash taupe slash whatever you want to call it kind of works for the game because it starts to become a slightly busy board and to have just a taupe mm. flat surface to work on and you're putting on 3D colored components, it's much easier to spot with your eye what needs to happen or what you're about to do next. So as far as art and components, yes, the cover might not be a great semblance of what the game is or the actual components themselves may not seem really good color-wise. But I think it works out for it. And again, the component quality is great. I think the cards have like the, that nice little uh, finish. The boards are nice and wide. And as far as like the quality is great, the color, eh, but it works. Scott? Yeah, I got to agree with you. I mean, I went with art and components. Blah. Uh, <laughs> Blah. But, but let me back up and explain here. 
The artwork is nice. Uh, you really get, to, to me, I really get the feeling for like the old timey sailing charts and whatnot. Yes. The pieces are wooden cubes and some buildings. The one thing that I think is so cool, the towers that go in the corners. In comparison mm-hmm. to everything else, they just have like this ominous feel to it that adds this like air of mystery to the game. I mean, it's just like, okay, you build a tower. But still, just the look of it with that in the artwork, I think just really creates such a mood with the game. So even though, yeah, it's it's bland, they do add a couple little things here to really stand out for it. I kind of like the muted colors here because it does give it a, like an old school charm, like you said, Scott. And uh, further, it kind of looks like an old map, which might have been what they were shooting for. But that said, make no mistake. It's almost like somebody at AEG like took a dare about how many different shades of brown and beige <laughs> they could cram into the game. And I'll tell you what, the title the title is not inviting. I feel like uh, if you use chat, B- chat GPT and you're like, hey, give me a title for a, a Euro game, that's what it would come up with. Uh, let's see, Guild. Merchant, Explorers. And I'll tell you one other thing, guys. These coins, they suck butt. (laughs) They are one-sided, all with the same print on the back, and they're all the same size. And there's like 19 different denominations. So if the coin is face down, you don't know if it's a 1, 3, 5, 10, 20, 50, whatever. Instant upgrade for me, getting rid of those coins. Heck, I'd rather use pennies, nickels, and quarters. They're, They're that bad yeah i was gonna add that too i was like i was thinking <laughs> nice. like the the, the the 3d towers are great like the wooden components are great why couldn't they do that with you know some of the little chits that you get especially the coins now i do know that they say that you're supposed to keep them a secret so that nobody knows how many points you actually have but, uh so that's why they do that yeah but uh you know that does i i honestly don't think that matters as much as people may think in fact it might incentivize you to what do something else no it really doesn't you you only can do what you can do it's not a game uh, where you're looking at other people's scores anyway exactly so when we played it at four horsemen i took out some coins from another game of mine that already had upgraded in fact i think they were the obsession coins and and, uh, we played with those and they were just nice bit number two we talk about the game's theme and immersion we're explorers charting out uh, i guess pathways on a map here ryan you take the floor on theme and immersion Sure. Uh, as far as the theme is concerned, I can see it. As far as immersion, I kind of don't. You know, sorry to put that damper on it, but like, you know, as far as the theme is concerned, yes, you're you're cartographers for the most part, and you're going to uncharted lands. You're trying to collect what you can that's over there. I, I do like the fact that, like, when you establish a civilization in one of the areas when you complete it, that you put a house there and you can explore from there. That's mm-hmm. that's kind ish kind of thematic you know like you have set up something in somewhere why don't you just you know start from there instead of just the main city that you started with as far as immersion is concerned you're putting down cubes uh, (laughs) based on what a card tells you to do do i actually feel like i'm exploring not technically not really based on like how the game is being played like the mechanics wise but yeah i in, in this instance i feel like there's more theme than immersion Well, it's kind of funny because I did feel both. Now, I don't feel like I'm actually sailing the seven seas or anything, but I feel like I'm the head of this merchant's guild. And I'm sitting in my office of the sailing corporation, setting paths for my ship to go and reap the benefits of my planning. If they had a a board game where you're in the front office of an NFL team, you watch and you're reaping the benefits of who you drafted, where, when, in what positions. 
I felt it was more along the lines of whenever they flip the cards, you're getting information on where your ships can go. So you're kind of setting up the paths of where you're going to go to get the biggest benefit. So it wasn't like I felt that I'm there on the front lines actually setting sail and landing in these places to gather the goods, but I was more on the lines of planning everything. I really did enjoy the game for that fact. Yeah, I thought they did a fantastic job with uh, incorporating the theme here. Immersion, sure. You know, it's hard to, I mean, in any board game, there's going to be an immersive disconnect. uh, And with an X and right, in this case, a a flip and right. Yeah, just as much. I agree with you, Ryan. It's hard to feel like, you know, I'm a sailor. But the theme, you know what? They got that map that does look like it's out of an old school RPG book that you're playing on. The villages are a different shape. The citadels shooting up from the corners of the map. You're searching shipwrecks or voyaging around a volcano, collecting coin for your journeys. It's all cohesive. And I was pleasantly surprised with how well it came through. Normally, whenever you have insert a thing and write, flip and write, roll and write, whatever, and write, themes kind of out the window and it feels like you're playing bingo. And that is just not the case here. This one felt <laughs> thematic. I liked it. Let's move it on to complexity. Bit number three. Ryan, is this a complex game? It is not a complex game. Uh, you Again, you just flip cards and the cards tell you what you can or how you can distribute your cubes. Whether it's mm-hmm. like if you flip over a card, it says three waters in a row. Then you look from where you can do that and just put three cubes in the water in a row. It's really not complex at all you're not really doing anything but going out and trying to either complete villages or you're trying to reach those citadels for a lot of end game points. You do the best that you can with what you got. And what you got is just flipping cards. The game flow is very simple. You can teach this in five, 10 minutes. It's really simple. Yeah, I I agree with just about everything you said, Brian. It's not that complex. It's easy to grasp. But the one thing that kind of got me though was you almost have to keep an eye on your geometry in a way. Because sometimes you can figure, oh, okay, I've got a perfect path here. Boom, 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 boom. All right, I'm all set. Then you go out from your hex there and you realize, no, I counted wrong. I was one over and, and, oh, crap. It's not going to work out. You can get lulled into a false sense of security of it being really simple and do some dumb mistakes. It's easy to fix, but it's just one of those things where you just really got to pay attention to those fine little details sometimes. Let's move right to bit number four then, guys. I got nothing to add there, so let's talk rulebook and learning curve. And I'll lead this one off. Rules clearly laid out. Everything's in there. I don't think that there were any questions that we couldn't answer really quickly, so it met the level up standard of it's not hot garbage, the rulebook that is. The learning curve... Honestly, because the complexity is so simple, you flip the card, do what it says. You flip the next card, you do what it says. The only thing that like, oh, you eventually like figure that out and you figure it out after like two turns is, oh, so we already flipped the one that shows two mountains. So I know that for the rest of the round, I'm not going to see that card or the double desert card uh, that, that aren't touching, for example. Oh, we've seen that one also. So I know that if I'm Going over towards an area where there's a bunch of mountain and desert, I'm not going to be able to do it. That's about the extent of the learning curve. Maybe when you switch up the maps and you try the one with the crystals or like that volcano, it's hard to judge the the first time you play that map. How hard is it going to be to get all the way around it to get to some of those, the, the loot on the other side? But that's about it. Learning curve as far as how do I play this thing? <sighs> Simple. 
I agree. I totally agree. The rule book, like you said, just lays out everything perfectly. It's not like there's many different kinds of cards that tell you different things to do. If the hexes are touching each other in a line, then that means you have to put them in that line. If they're not touching each other and they're kind of overlapping, that means you can place them wherever as long as it's off of your already established route. Aside from that, you're just flipping cards until all of them are flipped, and then you reset and add a new card. And that's the game. Yes, the different maps uh, have different features, the different crystals, the different ways to score. Um, But, I mean, if you play the beginner map or the first map, for the most part, all you need to play the next map is, what do the crystals do? And there you go, and now you're off to do the second map. Yeah, very, very. How are you going to add on to that one, book. Scott? Yeah. Well, being the only one that didn't look at the rule book and just learned it from people, it was really quite simple to pick up. You can learn this game very, very quickly. And once you get an idea what the symbols mean, you're off to the races. Whenever you and I play Patrick, we were a little messed up with the buildings as to where you could sail off. And then, second time we played it, we had that all cleared up it really opened up the game a lot more. And I think that that really made the game shine. And once you see the first turn go through, you kind of have an idea how everything else is going to go through. So you pick up on it very, very quickly. Quite simple to pick up and play and enjoy it. All right, guys. So I record, I hang these curtains from the ceiling. Adventures, you can't see this, but whenever I record, I want the sound to sound good. So I got a furniture pad behind me and I got these two curtains on the ceiling. So I'm listening to you talk, Scott, and I instantly shut you off. And I'm sorry, here's why. There's this thing going up one of the curtains. It was one of those fat black spiders. And it's like, yeah, so it's dead now. It's a dead spider. Guys, let's talk about the meat of this game. Uh, I'll let Ryan have the floor and we'll work our way around again. So the meat in this game is, I think, those asymmetric card powers that you get. Um, Mm -hmm. The rest of the game is self-explanatory and the rest of it is the same. The order changes. But aside from that, most of the rest of the game is the same. But as soon as you get one of these gi- one of these cards from the giant stack of asymmetric powers and you start using those, those drastically change the game and it changes your strategy. You could be like, oh, uh, so now I get to put uh, six, uh, six cubes and they all have to be like uh, a zigzag across water and land. I'm going to figure out a way to do that. And so like you're changing your strategies to try to get ready for this card that you're going to get. It's just a lot of fun to be like, oh, this is what I'm getting. That's amazing. I'm looking forward to using this. Uh, but, you know, that's I feel like the meat of the game is that whole aspect of this game. How about you guys? Uh, go ahead uh, with Patrick. Why not this time? Ooh, okay. I th- you know what? I thought this was kind of tricky. Uh, you want to go as far as you can. You want to draw the cards in the best order you can. And you know what? Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe it's understanding that the cards that you've already seen versus what's left and weighing your odds of reaching that faraway citadel, or maybe just playing it safe and hitting up some coins and a ruins. Yeah. I, you know what? I like that. I'm going to go ahead and say that at its core, there's a bit of pressure luck uh, is, is an element of the play here. Once you start noticing what cards are down, what is likely, well, not likely, but like, you know what is still to come. Uh, you just don't know the order. And then weighing the options of, okay, am I going to press my luck and try and go for this far thing? I would have to see these cards in this order for that to work. Or am I just going to hang out here and do the, you know, go for the low hanging fruit? That was the meat for me. What'd you think, Scott? Well, you kind of just uh, stole my thunder there. Uh, oh, I, I love it. <laughs> I think the biggest thing is whenever the cards are drawn, you take a look at it. Once you suss out what the cards have been played and what's going to be coming, 
you want to be able to look at the big picture and profit the most from that. Whenever mm-hmm. you see like, all right, the mountain's been up, my power is this. All right. So if it comes up in this way, I can do that. If it comes up this way, I can do that. So it's keeping in mind what the cards are and what has been played. I think that's really the meat of the game to be able to optimize what you get whenever those come out. And make no mistake, there's no memory game at play. What the cards are that have shown and haven't shown, uh, the five basic cards, they have their image on the board. So like, you know, Mm -hmm. if it's played or like, if it's not played yet, you know, it's going, oh, okay, that's right. It's two deserts not touching. Why? Because I can see it right there that whenever we draw the card, that's where it's going to be placed. Guys, let's talk replayability and variability. We've got four maps. We've got the order of the cards, the treasures that you draw, bonus cards for each round. Feel like this one's always going to play in a familiar fashion while differentiating significantly each play to keep me coming back. What do you guys think? Yeah, those um, the big part of the replayability of this game is comes from the, in my opinion, those asymmetric cards. But at the same time, even though you're playing the same game, you have to optimize, as you both said, you have to optimize how you plan on doing that. And so, like that plan is going to change every single time that you play this game. You're not going to go mm-hmm. the same route every single time. You're going to have to. You're going to have to divert. You have to learn how to do that. This game also plays really quick. It, it can play pretty quick. Uh, I would say probably anywhere from like 45 minutes or so. Yeah. And that's yeah. even at full player count because everything is, for the most part, uh, synchronous. Uh, everyone's doing their own thing. Once they pull a card, everyone's doing their own thing on their board, kind of like a roll and write. I, I, I think sure. it's basically a giant roll and write, kind of. <laughs> or it's a flip play- and write. It's a flip and write, a flipping cube. Because it's also quick, I could see replayability being a big factor based on that too. So, you know, because it's like one of those where it's like, I'm going to finish this game and we finish this game. And it's like, you know what? We have an hour. Let's play it again. You know, Let's you do it do again. Exactly. Scott, yeah, really, I, there's not much more I can add on here because you have, like you said, the four different maps that have different sites that you have to go see different things that are going to twist the game a little bit for you. Mm-hmm. You have the different powers that you play for each of your ships. Each time you play, it's going to be a little bit different. And it's kind of like a video game in a way, like a side scroller. You know what's going to come up each and every time, but it's the little differences that you make each time to see if you can do a little bit better. And I think that's where it shines. Granted, there are some things that give it a little bit of a downside, but for the most part, yeah, I agree with you guys both. There's a lot of replayability here, definitely. Well, I'm just going to let you keep flowing with it then, Scott. Bit number seven is where we look at the downsides, and there's one on the tip of your tongue. Let's see. Out with it. Out with coins. it. Coins. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes. There's um, coins. We all agree, <laughs> no, I think. There are two downsides to this. One not as bad as the other. Well, actually, maybe three. First, the color palette. Yeah, it's kind of bland. It could be a little bit more, maybe a little blue in there where the water is, stuff like that. That could be a little bit fun, but I mean, that's just getting picky. Second one is that a lot of people, they will play this game and they will realize that this is like just playing solitaire with a bunch of people around the table. Sure. Uh, You aren't directly interacting with each other. You're playing your own game on your own board, and that's where it ends. The very top one is the coins. Uh, (laughs) I can understand the whole idea of, yeah, you want to hide the values and everything so people don't know how many points you have. But do you want to keep it a mystery or do you want to keep players happy with having different size coins? 
Mm-hmm. And the balance was definitely on the other side of let's keep it secret, which I really don't think it should have been because there are so many things that you're doing in this game, figuring out your paths. If you are busy trying to count the number of points that someone has, if there's different size coins, you aren't playing the game right. Right. So right. I, I think that's really a big thing there. Anything to add, Ryan? Yeah, you hit on something that, believe it or not, I never thought about. So I'm not a solo player. This game is definitely multiplayer solitaire. Mm -hmm. That being said, you could also be just playing by yourself and you're playing the exact same game just by yourself. Right. But I'm not a big solo player, so I I didn't think about that. But you're absolutely correct. At no point in this game, zero point whatsoever, are you taking cards. There's no take that in this game whatsoever. There's no, oh, I'm going to get this treasure first because all the treasures are random. There's no, oh, um, I I took the better asymmetric power card because everyone gets a ton from this giant stack. There's there's only one. There's only one, one. and that's that there's the community goals, and the first person to have done X will get 10 points. Everyone else that does it will get five, that sort of thing. But it's only in three instances, and I don't think anybody's winning or losing necessarily based on being the one that you know did that thing first. That's mm. not the focal point of the game. That's not where right. the bulk of your points are coming from. That's true. That is it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, you're right. At the same time, that doesn't really matter that much. Yeah, just the coins. Yeah. <laughs> just coins <laughs> well guys I said much the same as you did uh, it, it would have been neat if they had some way of messing with each other kind of like in cartographers you pass the map to the right maybe they would have mm. a different token or something that like oh when that card comes up you put the token on your opponent's map and it I don't know it, it nukes four spaces make it like a, a shape of four hexes and you just plop it down somewhere and ha you can't go there so or you know what? Uh, if I could real quick another thing yeah. I'm thinking it just popped in my head as you did this if you get to a certain shipwreck first, you put one on top of everyone else's that that shipwreck has already been checked out. Something to add to the racing yeah. element, sure. I think, uh, though, for while we might identify that as a downside, I think for a lot of people, for a lot of people, when you think of games like Cascadia, is is that's the hot sauce, right? People love that game. You're not interacting. You're not competing. You know, you're not messing with each other's boards. I think a lot of people see, oh, this is like multiplayer solitaire. You don't get to mess with each other, and they say. That's what I want. I don't want to mess with mm-hmm. each other. Let's get to bit number eight. Was it fun and who's it for? What say you, Ryan? It's fun. Oh, I like it. I like it a lot. For a, a quick game that's easy, this is probably one of those go-to games for me. Um, mm-hmm. I have no major qualms with this game. Again, I, I was pulling at strings trying to nitpick about things. You know, and the coins are... I'm the king of like deluxifying and getting like uh, upgraded components. So I already had coins for this game. So like when I do have it, it's obviously going to be upgraded. So I won't have that issue anymore. But even if you don't, you can still enjoy this game. It's fun. Uh, who's it for? It's for mostly anybody, uh, anybody who's like, you know, s- you know, six years, if they're, you know, in into board gaming or like a, you know, seven or higher, something like that. It's a great game for people who like rolling rights. It's a sure, wonderful sure. game for those people. But for me, yes, it was definitely fun. It's it's going on my shelf. I'm going to call but, it potentially best in class in roll and rights. It does things that roll and well, flip and rights can't do. And that's why it has to use cubes because you can't go erasing the board. You're going to miss things. I think this game's fantastic. I had a ton of fun with it. I unfortunately had to give our copy back to Nikki and it is returned to Nikki's basement. 
but I'm trying to track down a copy for myself. Here's the deal. We have PGX coming up. We got to do demos. I actually messaged my, my friend Vlad at AEG. I was like, hey, if you guys can like sell me for it discount or perhaps contribute for, we would love to use this as our demo. We get 16 people playing all at once. There's no limit to how many people can play. And they probably said no. <laughs> <laughs> we have too many people asking us for stuff at the moment, and we don't have anything to a lot to the small podcast that is level up. That said, I'm still thinking I might just uh, uh, track down a few copies on my own and get a few used copies. I'd love to have that as big group game. I think it's fantastic. King, what say you? I agree with you both. I really enjoy this game. Yes, younger kids will be able to play this, but I don't think that they would enjoy the challenge of playing this game. I think a lot of times they will sit there, they will play this, and it's just like, oh, I'm making a line. Oh, I'm doing this. But I don't think that it's one that I would want to play with anyone under 14 at least. Because okay. I want it I want it to be one of those things where I'm enjoying my game instead of trying to uh, like herd a bunch of kids and do, please pay attention. Please, please would you just pay attention? You don't want to help the children. Exactly. Kids kids would annoy me in this game. But <laughs> but this is a mid-lightweight game, and I'm going to use my phrase here. It's a palate cleanser game. It's one sure. that you're going to play at the end of the game. After a heavy game, you want to play something like this that's easy, and you just kind of like, whenever you hit that cool-down period on the treadmill, that's what this is for your brain. Oh, you know uh, what we haven't heard in a while? What? Is it in-law approved? Oh. That's the phrase I was thinking of. <laughs> I'm going to say no. They could understand it. But would they have fun with it? I don't think so. I think it's one of those things that the theme would just not really draw them in. I think you almost have to be a gamer to really get drawn in on this. Fair enough. But otherwise, not good times all around. Well, there you have it. AEG's The Guild of Merchant Explorers. One year ago today, we had a chance to review Glow. Now, at the time, we were really enamored with it, but has it stuck that landing for the entire year? Now, I'm just going to say for myself, I've not played it since we played it for for the review. Oh, uh, not even on BGA? No, it's one of those that I enjoyed. It was fun, but it just got a little fiddly for me. I want to be able to just jump in, play it, enjoy it. It was one of those things where I started not enjoying it when I was playing on BGA. Hmm. Granted, it it's an, an absolutely magical world. I love the, the artwork in it. It is absolutely gorgeous, but it just hasn't drawn me back. Now, maybe coming up here, since we're talking about it now, I might give it another try, but I haven't. What, what about you guys? Ryan, have you ever played it? I have played it a few times. I do like it. It definitely is Vincent Dutre art. I really enjoy that. The black and white of it makes it seem ominous. Mm-hmm. Uh, aside from that, the card play is unique. But yeah, you're right. It something about it just didn't grasp me in this game. I did. I, I do enjoy it. I would still play it today if anybody asked me to. But like, it's not one of those that I would like reach for and like specifically offer. But that's just me. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same vein. I've actually since bought a copy. I sought out a copy because I actually really, really liked Glow. I thought that it packed a ton of game into not a huge time frame. Between the dice you're getting, the characters, it's a game that I'm going to be happy to play again. And I bought myself one so that I can suggest it. 
it's just, you know, there's a lot of games competing for the table and only the very best are the ones that I'm going to be getting off the shelf from time to time. And Glow hasn't uh, been nominated since I've only played it a handful of times on BGA since last year. I would still recommend this game. I don't think it's a bad mm-hmm. game. I don't think it's a boring game. I think most folks that played are going to enjoy it. I also think, and we don't touch on value a whole lot, I think the value is there. If you can get an $80 game that gives you about the same amount of fun and excitement as Glow, Glow's, well, you could probably find it for $30, $40. $40. There's a lot of game in that box for that oh, yeah. price. I'm still comfortable recommending it, even though it didn't stand out as one of the best from last year. Well, there you go. One year later, our thoughts on Glow. We may not have been playing it. Still, it is worth your time to seek it out. All right, gentlemen, we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Origins is upon us. I can't wait. I'm stoked. There's no war wagon this year. I'm going to have to go out with my family. We're taking the Subaru. Uh, uh, Nikki's not going to be able to make this one, so I'm thoroughly disappointed. There will, there will be no car PG, but I'm still <laughs> just up for Origins, and I thought we could talk about some of the things that we're looking forward to. So how about this, guys? Let's let's uh, go around one at a time. We'll do like one thing each, and we'll go around a few times talking about something that we're excited for, something about the event. Then we're going to go around once or twice, and we'll talk about a game that we want to play there. And then we'll go around one last time. We'll say, what's on your buy list at Origins? Okay, sound good? Sounds All right. good. All right. How about we do, uh, why don't we lead with Ryan, then we'll go me, and then King, you you, you bring us on home, okay? You got okay. it. All right, Ryan, give me something you're looking forward to at Origins 2023. All right. Well, every major board game convention has a virtual flea market on Board Game Geek where you post games you want to sell or trade out, and I am finally offloading a ton of my games and promos that I have. <laughs> and currently I'm selling 45 of them. So I'm looking forward to all of that dough, which I'll immediately be spending about three quarters of that to pay for the games I'm getting from that flea market. So guys, I have an addiction. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> uh, but yeah, speaking of, uh, speaking of that, that's where I'm going to get a copy of Guild of the Merchant Explorers, which we just talked about. And I'm Excellent. also getting Hadara from there, which I just cannot wait to have those. Pat, how about you? All right. First thing I put on the list, seeing Will, Josh, Ryan, and a whole slew of other folks that we've come to know from the show, folks that we only see from uh, from time to time, and that you know, Origins is that chance. Like I think back to uh, what was it, Pax? We did the Noodle Brigade with Berkey and that gang, and mm-hmm. prior to that, it was uh, it was hanging out with you guys uh, in the media room at Pax last year at uh, at Gen Con. I got to spend a lot of time with Will. There's something about these interactions with people that you only get to see a handful of times. Each each year and you're doing something that you all love and you're doing it for like three days straight. I can't wait for that. So the people King. Well, you stole my thunder, but luckily I had another one in the chamber, the vendor room. There's always so much electricity in there. Seeing new and current games that are coming out. There's just something that draws me into that all the time. Whenever you run into one of your friends and they say, have you seen this game yet? No, where's that one at? Uh, I start getting that. the goosebumps. You run over there, and then you see something else, and you share that with someone else, and they're like, oh, but did you see this one? No, and just running around having a little scavenger hunt, trying to find all these games people are talking about. So the vendor room is an absolute blast. All right, Ryan, you're up. Okay, so this might not have to do with Origins, per se, but the fact that I'll be in Columbus – Something else I'm looking forward to, since I'm of German heritage and Ohio itself has a lot of German inspiration and influence, I am looking forward for breakfast to having a good old-fashioned getta. 
I don't know if you guys know what those are. It's like a, a fried spiced pork and oats patty. Oh, it's so good. Mm. I, I just in I can't, can't wait to have that in my belly. Uh, but that's, <laughs> that, 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 that's just something that I'm looking forward to as well, just for being in Ohio itself. Pat. Hey, maybe we can all do uh, breakfast together. Oh, yes. Yes, we got to. We got to get a get a. <laughs> wow. right, Pat, go ahead. What else you got? <laughs> Oh, we're not going to let that one go for a while. I scheduled Blood on the Clock Tower, and I know that this isn't like uh, we're not talking games just yet, but I scheduled it last year. We had issues with Warwagon 2.0, and we had to revert back to Warwagon 1.0. We got to Origins late, and I missed it. So I've since got a copy. I opened it up, saw the rule book, and said, nope. So I'm waiting until Origins, where I'm going to join in and play. And I was like, that's going to give me the prerequisite knowledge. I'll be able to learn it in no time. And then I actually, I've planned out for later in the summer to have a group like the Lobsters and Scott, like, I'm going to pick a day in August and have like 15 people over and we're really going to dive into maybe make it into a review game. But finally being able to sit down a year later and play it properly. I'm excited for that. King, you're on. All right. Well, mine, a lot of times whenever I talk about games, I talk about food. Whenever I say about, well, it has this uh, ingredient, this ingredient, and you mash it all together. Well, Columbus loves to have their food. So, so many cool places around there. Um, Mongolian barbecue is awesome. Condados, we went to last year. We had that oh, awesome yeah. flight of margaritas and the tacos. And let alone the North Market where you can get just about anything. Right. All those places are within walking distance. And it's such a welcoming area. They're having an absolute blast. So, eating is definitely on that list for me. Ryan, back to you. Yeah, let's uh, let's again, as you said, let's join together and get a get a. Anyway, so I'm looking forward to uh, one more major thing, and it's already been hit on, but you know, it's about seeing your beautiful mugs in person again, and we get to shoot Aww. the shit, we get to play some games, grab some beers, drink some scotch, you know, whatever we want to do. Uh, for those few days where Origins is happening, Columbus is our playground, and I just can't wait for that. Uh, I had to save the best for last and not do it first like Patrick did. But anyway, I'm sure Patrick has something better saved for last. What do you got, Pat? <laughs> don't hate me, people. No masks. There, I said it. <laughs> we don't have to wear a mask. Scott, you're on the floor. <laughs> you take it. <laughs> well, mine kind of ties in with what you two already said, and that is seeing people. And one of the great things I get to do with that is I'll be working at Game Topper's booth once again with Berkey. Seeing the him, seeing the people that are working there, seeing the people that come up and take a look at the game toppers. It's an absolute blast uh, hanging out there, uh, seeing everyone come up, having some laughs. And it's just a great time seeing people in person. So I can't wait for that. And it's going to be an absolute blast. Well, let's talk games, games that we're looking forward to. Let's do, uh, say, two each and we'll, we'll keep going around the table. Ryan, you're up. I'm not going to lie. Um, I looked over the list. Uh, Scott uh, graciously gave us a list of all the games that we're going to see at Origins. Um, and believe it or not, there's only one that I'm really looking forward to. And the other ones are so-and-so. So I'm going to go after uh, one of the so-and-so ones for now. And that is playing Blood on the Clock Tower. That's actually one that I've, I've wanted to play ever since they tried to do that at PAX last year. It seems really interesting. I have a board game group that I meet with every uh, every Monday. It's called the Tipsy Meeple because we meet at a bar. But uh, mm -hmm. they had a 14-player game going on, which I wasn't a part of. I was actually playing another game off to the side that I signed up for. But Blood on 
on the clock tower just uh, you heard like laughs, you heard like ahs, you heard all sorts of noises from over there. And I really want to learn how to play it. And I know it's <laughs> not incredibly long and that you can stay in it even if you're outed. But at the same time, like, you know, I want to enjoy a game. And it seems like a convention kind of game where you can get a lot of people, which this game goes up to 20. So that's why I asked you uh, what time your Blood on the Clock Tower was to see if I could possibly join it. But I'm looking forward to that game. How about you, Excellent. Pat? I put Tribes of the Wind, which I have not played yet. I had this on my list of games that I was looking forward to at PAX. I understand you've got a hand of cards. The backs of those cards give your opponent resources to work with. Just sounds really interesting. It's caught a little bit of buzz since, and the only reviews I've heard of it since have been pretty decent. So I'm looking forward to finding out more about Tribes of the Wind. Scott? Okay, well, mine is going to be an expansion that's going to bring a game I really enjoy back to the table, and that is Space Explorer's Age of Ambition. The base game really looks incredible. It has a washed-out 60s palette with the space race. I mean, come on! This will definitely bring the game back to the table and give it all sorts of new love and new oomph to get it yeah, back to the while. table here. Now, I'm going to say, let's do this serpentine-wise. So I'm going to hit mine and go back to Patrick and back to Ryan. All right. Fine. Go ahead. So my next one is the Galileo Project. Now, come on. This is another one. Corporate greed trying to take over four moons of Jupiter. I'm in. I'm in right there. Uh, I'm not sure how it's going to play or anything. I haven't done any more research on it. I just saw that, saw the little blurb about it. like, I'm in. So Galileo Project is my other one I'm looking forward to. I want to throw something in about that. Um, so Galileo Project, I understand, is kind of like a better re-implementation of a game called Ganymede. And I've played Ganymede, and I thought Ganymede was a wonderful little deck builder slash uh, tableau builder. And so, like, I've been looking forward to Galileo Project, too. Let me just, you know, if, if, if you tell me when you're going to go see it and play it, let me know. I want to be there with Will you. Will do. All right, Patrick. No masks. <laughs> no, 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 games, Patrick. Patrick, games. There, who knows? There might be a game called No Masks. Who knows? Uh, there you go. No, seriously, uh, for me, it's going to be Stifling Dark. And this is one that I had the chance to pass their table last year. Didn't actually get the chance to play it and demo it a little bit. It was on Kickstarter not that long ago. You're, It's like a horror theme. And you've got these little templates that are translucent yellow that represent your flashlights. Don't know a whole lot about what's going on in the game. And that's why I'm looking forward to it. I want to check out that booth. I want to meet those guys. I want to play that game. I think it's going to be kind of cool. Ryan, bring us on home. All right. I went to Gen Con last year with you guys, and there was a game that I was looking forward to playing, but they didn't have it available. And so I went to PAX hoping to actually see it, and maybe it was available. Nope, they didn't have it available to play either. They had it on display, but they didn't have it to play. However, apparently at uh, at Origins, they are going to have this, especially since all the Kickstarter people managed to get their copies of it, and I really want a copy of it. But first, I want to try it out, and that is Castles by the Sea. This game is a sandcastle building game with like actual blocks. So it's like kind of mm. dexterous, but it's like abstract strategy. It is beautiful. You play like a little tiny person next to the sea and you're building in essence sandcastles, but like these sandcastles are the actual size of actual castles for us, whereas they're very small. So it's like, it looks like an actual size of castle for them, but it's just a sandcastle. It looks beautiful. It looks really, really Really well done. By the way, it's published by Brotherwise, so you know who knows. Maybe you get oh, Empire Send on the yeah, way. Yeah, we can chat with Chris. We'll <laughs> yeah. talk to him. But yeah, that that's a game I, I I definitely have been wanting to play in the past couple of uh, conventions, and I'm just glad that I understand it's going to be there, and so I definitely want to play that. 
Guys, it wouldn't be a convention if you didn't go shopping. So let's quickly go down what we're looking to buy instead of like one game each. Let's just here's what I'm looking for. Here's why. And we'll work our way around. I'm going to start. We'll finish with Ryan. I got four things on my list. Number one is heat because I haven't been able to find heat. I see people playing it. I still haven't. And I'm getting angry. I want to get some heat getting heated over here. Tribes of the Wind. I already mentioned I want to play it. If it's good, I want to buy it. Beyond the Sun Leaders. They haven't had it at our FLGS. That's the expansion for Beyond the Sun. I love that game. I want to play with leaders. And lastly, on my buy list, expansions for Return to Dark Tower. Scott, I picked up Return to Dark Tower again. I tracked it down, got a deal on a copy. (laughs) So we have it in the group again. I want to expand on it now. That's my buy list. And I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of other things tugging at the side of my shirt saying, buy me. What you got, Scott? Well, for me, there's not really anything that really is a must-buy right now, but the only one that is is the Werewolf expansion for Final Girl. I always like to leave one out, so I have to go to their booth and pick it up, and hopefully they're going to have the miniatures for the second series that they had for Final Girl as well, too. So keeping fingers crossed on that. Going to go buy 25th Century Games. Raw is coming out. I played before and I'd love to go back and revisit it. The new implementation of the game. Check that one out there as well. And then I'm wide open. I go around and if there's something that really grabs my attention, it's like I'm in. So there's always going to be that surprise buy that I'm not expecting that will be put on there for buy number three. So Ryan's got to do one. Yeah. What say you? Well, to be fair, I'm already getting about 30 things from that uh, from that virtual <laughs> flea market. Oh, cut so him off. I, Stop I sh- it. I shouldn't be getting anything. But yeah, again, if Castles by the Sea is good and they have a copy there, I'm grabbing it. I've always wanted my copy of Barrage back. I had a copy of Barrage with everything, the Kickstarter box, you know, the expansions. If they have a copy of Barrage there with the Kickstarter box and everything, uh, I'm going to probably get it there too because I miss having a copy of it. But aside from that, the last place I'm probably going to check, I, I doubt they're going to have it. But Cosmic Frog is a wonderful, like, beat up kind of game. It's, it's just, it's, it's insanely crazy. They have come out with an expansion. It's called Find Muck. Now, you know, flip around the first letters of each of those words. Oh, oh, yeah. I don't get I don't oh. get it. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll type it out for you and then you'll probably get it. Uh, they have an expansion called Find Muck. And I really want to see if they actually have a copy of it. I don't think they're going to be available until uh, Gen Con of this year. But I, I'm going to go see it at Jim Felly anyway. Uh, he's a really, really good uh good designer and he's really fun to talk with and talk to him oh, a yeah. couple times so uh, i'm gonna check that out aside from that that's what i got that's origins for me and adventures we hope origins is awesome for you do keep your ears open we're gonna have some coverage while we're there if you're not following us on facebook instagram you know what i'm gonna save all that for our end of the episode you know here's what we say before we sign off for now let's make that little uh, that sound effect so we can level up All right. Well, listeners, we've come to the end of the day. My level up is this. I got a chance this past weekend to work at a Comic-Con with my cousin. This really was something that took me back to my roots because I had comics ever since I was a little kid. And it was just great nerding out big time with all these people having a blast, talking old Spider-Man comics, ROM comics, which there's an omnibus coming up next year. I'm so stoked for that one. Nice. And it was just a great time and just so much happiness. There were so many things going on in Pittsburgh with 
the Pride Parade with the Three Rivers Arts Festival, the Comic-Con going on, everything going on at once. It was just a great place to be. So that was my level up. Patrick. Well, I did it in Johnstown. They had the Path of the Flood slightly longer than a half marathon. It's actually a 14 miler run. Got up bright and early last week on Saturday. It was around five in the morning. It was it was a foggy, chilly morn here in southwestern PA. And I'm telling you what, Johnstown being down in that valley, like in a basin is freezing cold. Got there bright and early, got on one of the buses that takes you to the start point of the 14 miler. And I'm telling you what, you're at the, at the peak of where the dam was like on mm-hmm. the land and they have like an overlook. So you can see the lake where the lake used to be. And then you walk down steps into the lake all the way over to where like the stone wall was like basically, what do they call it? The mouth of the dam, the bottom of the, the brick portion of the dam. That mm-hmm. is where the starting line was. And all the while you're running alongside this mountain and then you'll cross over a bridge. You're running along the other side of the mountain all the way into Johnstown. It was a challenge. Uh, it wasn't easy. It wasn't pretty. I did not win, but I did not lose. Uh, I guess no one loses. I, my daughter's like, dad, did you win? And I'm like, honey, my goal is always to finish, which to me is a win. So I, I'm very pleased with myself. Uh, I started a couple months ago and I was like, oh, I'm starting to get a little thick in the waistline. I've dropped 20 pounds in, uh, in the time that I spent uh, uh, watching and exercising and racquetballing. And that was sort of the culmination of it. And there's, there's just no sensation comparable to when you do cross that line. It's like all of the turning down suites and the, the having to get up early and go for a run. It's like all of it comes together in that one moment. That's like, Oh, I did it. Oh, it's, it's so refreshing. It's so relieving. So that, thank you. That's my level up. Ryan, what do you got? Bring us home. Would you do it again? Oh, absolutely. I'm doing one at the end of July. Oh, nice. Very nice. Uh, so my level up is interesting. I don't know if I mentioned this before, but on May 21st, it counts as, uh, let me, <coughs> quite, quite, quite. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, so reasonable tone bottom or something. <laughs> uh, but no, um, it was, uh, six years, uh, that I have been married, uh, and that was on 521. And we haven't killed each other yet, even through maintaining a house, having a kid. Almost four years ago, his birthday's coming up. We did a board game run. That's what we did for my uh, our, our anniversary. So for the first five anniversaries, my, I would try to find like the fanciest or the best seafood restaurant in everywhere that we went to because that's what my wife loves. And I would plan it all out. I would do. I would plan out most of the trips, and I would pay for you know quite a bit of it. But either way, that was all my choice was to do that. However, this year she was like, you know what? You don't worry about anything. I'll plan out everything. And we're going to go on a board Ooh. game trip. So we drove from Union, New Jersey, which is like Central East New Jersey. And mm-hmm. we went down through Pennsylvania, down to Philly. And then we ended in the north part of Delaware. We hit five stores that day. And then we went nice. down through Baltimore to Annapolis. And uh, we came back up through the other part of Delaware. We hit six board game stores that day, stayed at the same hotel. And then on the last day, we drove from that hotel up through Jersey this time. And we hit like four board game stores on the way back home. Holy so we hit smokes. We hit roughly 13, I think 14 game stores, bought a lot of stuff. 
<laughs> that's what I'm selling all this stuff in the virtual flea market for to <laughs> get some money yeah, back better. so I can actually like pay for Origins. But it was it was a great time. We played many games on the way. We enjoyed ourselves. We like got to a, because we're only in a car together. We pretty much just had like nice conversations with each other. So I think my level up was uh, having a wonderful time. Just, you know, even though it's been six years and also four years prior to that. uh, So we've known each other for about 10 years. I feel like doing something like that gets you to know your loved one even better. Even though it's been 10 years, it, it just feels good to have like a nice conversation with someone that you love and just get to know them better, even if you think you know everything. So oh, congratulations. That, that's, my, that's my level up. Oh, thank you. Happy anniversary. Hey, adventurers, keep your ears open as we're going to have some Origins coverage while we're at said convention. If you haven't joined our Facebook, Instagram, all that crap, check your show notes. The links are right there. We're going to have a metric ton of Origins picks to share, and that's where you're going to find them. If you're going to be there in person, come say hi at the All Play booth, and nothing is more delightful than meeting you folks, maybe even sharing in a game. And don't miss King Scott. He's going to be hopping all week around the Game Toppers booth with Berkey and that gang. Definitely a lot of fun meeting up with listeners. Definitely come by and see us because I know lots of people like to get ribbons put on their lanyards, so we may be having a little something to tack on to your lanyards. Ooh, oh, I like that. Add, add it to the badge beard. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you're in the Pittsburgh area, July 22nd, 2023 will be our next big level up meetup at Ruckus Cafe. We're going to be there from one till eight. They've got amazing coffees, food, pizza. The owner, Daryl, dude, this guy's a gamer at heart and he loves mm-hmm. to see that place bursting at the seams with gamers. We'll have plenty of giveaways too. So come join us at Ruckus on July 22nd. King, you get the last word. All right. Let's keep on going with the toasts. Here's to Dame Fortune. May she smile upon you. May you never meet her daughter, Miss Fortune. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.